Hi, I'm Oliver Lennon and welcome to the Sendeo podcast, uh, where we delve into all things conversational AI with some of the sharpest brains from some of the most innovative companies in the world of customer experience. These are not a series of interviews, but conversations, um, regular discourse designed to provoke, educate, enlighten the business professionals with insights, learning and guidance on leveraging conversational AI to deliver meaningful CX. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Marine Dubois. Marine is, and they not mind me saying, an industry veteran, um, has been working in the space for 20 plus years um, with one of the vet- leading vendors in the space, Genesis, uh, covering various roles, CMO, um, product evangelist, um, currently GM and EVP of their WAM uh, division. Delighted, some really great conversation with Marine covering everything from empathy and AI and where that is going to take us um, right through to how AI will be used uh, from agent assist. Um, wonderful conversation, brilliant insights and uh, listen out for the Barbie story as well. So welcome, Marion Dubois. And I'm pretty sure I've got that pronunciation right. I've tried it over the last 15 years. I'm not, not Dutch, but you can correct me. I've heard worse and I've heard better. That's us <laughs> like this. You need, you need to be native Dutch to be able to pronounce it correctly. So I forgive everybody uh, on, on the globe how they pronounce it and what they do with it. So in Spain, they call me Jurjur, which is the furthest away from my original name I think you can get. So anything between that and the original pronunciation is totally fine with me. But it's Marijn, Marijn Tavoy. Marijn Tavoy. Marijn, welcome to the uh, podcast. Um, great to have you. We've known each other for quite a few years in, in different uh, guises. Um, I know you've been in this contact center technology space for a long time um, but my, my first I suppose obviously having known you and reading through a little bit what is a, a, a trained lawyer in international war or the law of war I think it is doing as a CX junkie yeah it's a, it's a good question uh, I have answered it many times in a different way I guess as well I, I ended up in the uh, in the, the niche world of the law of war which Something now is kind of interesting, but when I graduated in the early 90s, uh, it wasn't that cool at all. Um, and I had a hard time actually finding employment in it. And, and most of the employment that I was looking for was very bureaucratic and very cubicle focused for a couple of research uh, decades. And then hopefully you pop out somewhere. And I was uh, 24, 25. I was eager to, uh, to put my stamp on the world and and didn't sound very appealing, so uh, I decided to back out of that. Uh, I joined the army, and in the army, suddenly my uh, education uh, that I had became relevant. Uh, when I started combining it with the work they asked me to do, which was running a technical project, uh, which was focused on transporting uh, wounded soldiers uh, into a mesh hospital and from the mesh hospital back to the country where they should be, be treated in a hospital. And I was going from completely manual to a very technical approach at that time, at least with the QR code, barcode scanning and stuff like that. And I love that. So when I came out of the army, I decided I'm going to work in a technology uh, front or uh, environment where I can start thinking about innovation. And so I, at that time, like you did, sent letters to uh, people that uh, had the same education as I did. Not that many, actually. I found two both of them were CEOs, and uh, one of them uh, answered my email and or my letter and said, yeah, why don't you come by? And uh, after some talking, I became a trainee at uh, his company or at the company that he worked for. And 
uh, I got the charge to build a contact center. And uh, so because you're kind of young, savvy, we can get rid of you if you don't do it well. Uh, so I started walking the path of building a contact center from scratch. And uh, that was at the ANWB in the Netherlands, the Road Assistance Organization. And I did that for about five years and, and we were super innovative. So I still remember uh, with the group of people that we work with is that everything was possible. And uh, so throughout that journey, I became the contact center manager for part of it. And then I realized that running a contact center at that time is like walking a field of landmines. So ah, finally, my specialization in understanding in the use of landmines in law and the rules of war became relevant. Uh, incredibly bad metaphor, I guess, but that's how it's connected. So uh, that being said, I think that when you do law in the Netherlands, it's super academic. Uh, you get trained to, it's almost like a half MBA that you do. And, and I, you see them everywhere, right? So you, Dutch lawyers pop up everywhere in business situations and even on the edge of technology. And, and I learned through doing that that I love the innovation element of it, the, the element of being wrong every once in a while about future and, and trends that you see, but also to do something that nobody's ever done before and, and get it right. And uh, at that time at that company, we had a speech IVR in 1996, which was from a language understanding perspective way too early, but we had a ton of fun with it. We only ran it for 24 hours, then we took it down again because it was not good enough. Um, but later on, we got better and better at it, and uh, we ran it. And I think we were the first European company that had a speech-based IVR for self-service applications. And uh, we did chats in 1998. We had like five chats a year, and mostly people that were curious about this button on their website, and they clicked on it, and then suddenly they hit an agent. And it was panic in the conviction because, oh, we have a chat, we have a chat, so it's going to answer it. Good times, good times, um, for sure. Yeah, um, you're not giving away your age, actually. Just, I don't know if you know this, you and I, Within a day, you're a day older than I actually. We're both Capricorns. Ah, right. Um, right. That's the power of social media networks. I'm not sure which we're connected on, but um, I, I didn't know you were 39, man. So that's youngster. <laughs> I'm not going to ask who looks the uh, the youngest. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've both aged gracefully. Let's put it like that. Where I, um, <laughs> you're currently EVP GM of the WEM business in Genesis, but you've held a quite a few roles in Genesis you've been you're back in the Netherlands now and I know you spent quite a few years in San Francisco um you've been doing CMO you've run product um and I remember you speaking at a number of GeForce events talking about innovations um in the space that we are seeing now we'll come back to some of those there's obviously a lot of in the last six eight ten weeks uh interest both at a consumer and a business level in chat gbt gpt i could say it right um yeah is this yeah. In, in your um i mean you've been through a lot of this you've seen is this the real thing do you think is this something that's going to shake up the industry or is this another one of these inflated hype cycles that we're at uh, it certainly will shake up the industry and uh I'll go back a couple of years. I think in uh, 2016 or so, in one of those conferences, I presented a Barbie that was supported by an AI library. I recall that story, yes. <laughs> like seven, eight years ago. And, and most people in that room at that time thought it was crazy. And uh, why are we talking about a Barbie that has AI and you can have a conversation with? And for me, the conclusion was that if that is possible in a children's toy today, then there's no reason that AI will not enter my household. And if that happens, there's no reason it would not enter the workspace, right? And, and I think when we look back at that, it, it happened in an avalanche kind of way with a lot of bad practices, by the way, resulting from it. 
but it's there to stay and it's not going to go away. And, and I think ChatGPT is just the next evolution of that. Um, if I see my kids, by the way, uh, trying to use it for their homework and, uh, and for the, uh, the, the Cinder class poems that we write here in the Netherlands, um, I asked it to write me a WEM strategy. And WEM, by the way, for the people that are interested in acronyms, is Workforce Engagement Management. So all the tools said that you would require to actually operate your contact center. Um, I asked it to write a business strategy for Genesis for WEM. And I was kind of stunned by what I got out of it, right? So it's, it's not smarter than we are, but it will help me articulate stuff that I would spend time on writing in like a second. Uh, so I was kind of impressed with what it does and, uh, and, and sitting on the speech and text analytics side within WEM, uh, we certainly see a role for chat GPT like uh, environments going forward and uh, already looking at integrating and, and elements like that. So no, I think it is the, it's not a hype cycle. I think it's part of the, the AI avalanche that we're all living. And uh, it will help us to, to create an environment in which I think customer experience can be much better. Yeah. And uh, that's what we should drive with it. I, I was going to delve into that Barbie sto story. If I recall rightly, you were caught going through the airport by security with a Barbie. <laughs> I was, yeah. The, uh, actually, the, the production company in the final minute uh, offered me an actual speaking Barbie. So when I walked on stage, I had the actual thing from Mattel. Uh, but uh, when I left home, I was uh, scurrying to the house to find one of my daughter's Barbies uh, just to take there as, as a prop. And uh, after uh, searching for about an hour, I found one in my son's room, which he cut the hair off and, and lit it on fire and uh, undressed and I put that in my suitcase just in case I'll get, get some clothing at an airport toy store or whatever and uh, and then I went to TSA and TSA opened my luggage and they were already laughing so they were clearly focused on and one of the guys still out this uh, took out this naked Barbie and raised it so who's is this in a full TSA room and yeah a lot of people looked at me okay that's awkward to say the least so but yeah that happened yeah, yeah um flipping back into the ChatGPT and with your, I don't know if you can put your lawyer's brain back on again. Um, I was chatting to someone recently about this. I kind of, an analogy I used was like the Wild West going back to maybe 15 years in the world of open source. Every company, or maybe 20 years, was using open source and then it started to be a lot of discussion around IP and ownership. Um, if you go into the ChatGPT world, do you see some of that coming up as well? Or, or what do you think around that aspect of it? Or have you any thoughts at all on it? You mean we would go back or no. what the... So, you know, you, you mentioned you had, you went into ChatGPT and you asked it to write a WAM strategy yeah. for you. Or, you know, I know lots of organizations are using it for maybe authoring code or yeah. more... Um, you know, writing blogs and more on the artistic side. So are we going to get into this discussion of who actually owns the IP? Um, is it the belonging to the, the language model? Is it the person who asks the question? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Microsoft would like to own it, as we've all seen their behavior on the market already. Um, I think it is... Uh, a certain level of these breakthroughs will happen in parallel. And, and I don't think this will be the only one, right? I don't think there's a unique environment that has now been created that could not be replicated or will not have a second one that's maybe even better or evolution that happens elsewhere. So uh, I, I would hope that the IP will be 
well, maybe not open source, but be available to a lot of people and also a lot of parts of our society, because I think it can benefit many more people than just a business owner or a large software enterprise uh, like a Microsoft or even Genesis, right? We'll give you an edge for a while, uh, but I think that the benefit that it could bring to a lot of, of uh, societal layers is much bigger, uh, education. And a lot of people think education will now be stopped or canceled or whatever. I actually think it will benefit education if you find the proper way of using these elements, right? Is it not the kid that needs to understand the logic and the analysis and the ability to, to add value to a piece that is written by a system like that? Is that not more important than the ability to just read and write something fairly straightforward? Uh, I, I think it is. Are there not use cases thinkable when you think about the, uh, the scarcity of uh, employment right now, uh, in which this could help to find different ways to have people do other things, actually maybe things that they like to do uh, instead of things that they need to do right now? Uh, so I think there's a ton of benefits that could come out of it as well. And of course, the biggest benefit is they don't need any lawyers anymore. So because that will completely be replaced. I'm joking here, but, but there are certain elements that uh, that will be replaced fairly quickly. And I think that's a good thing. Um, as long as we don't underestimate the power that the human can still bring to this domain, right? And if you follow me a little bit, I've always been preaching about augmentation between these two worlds. And as long as that happens, then I think it will be beneficial to us and it will be beneficial to a large group of people. And I think that is really important to, to realize. It will also help a continent like Africa, which is uh, incredibly quickly aging leadership, but very young population to become uh, somewhat of a development innovation hub uh, for the future of the world. I think those are all good things that will benefit everybody on this planet. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess bringing it back around to the contact center space and then the agent discussion around that, again, there's been a lot of, you know, obviously it's been in the industry for a while, is AI going to replace the agent? You know, automation, is that going to do away with everything? Ugh. There's been all sorts of statistics around. Um, you know, I think even notice one from Gartner around, I think it's at 46 billion savings um, by 2026 or something because of AI. I mean, again, how do you see that playing out, you know, that kind of augmentation? I think in Genesis, you, you call it blended AI. I don't know if you still call it that, but that certainly was a term you, you had. Yeah. Uh, so the, I think that the initial use case was very focused on automating uh, text-based conversations, right? Mm. And uh, Which is, I think, somewhat simple and, and not necessarily the ultimate use that you could get from systems like that or capabilities like that. Um, I, th I think there are a number of problems that are happening right now in the world of customer experience specifically that I think are going to be helpfully resolved by augmenting people and, and AI and L-like capabilities. Uh, and a big part of that is because on the one side, the number of events or interactions that an enterprise has to deal with is going to increase. The same analyst firm Gartner predicted that that will increase more than three times compared to the 2020 numbers, and this was pre-COVID. Um, no CFO in their right mind will say, well, okay, well, we'll hire three times more people. Uh, that's not going to happen besides the fact that you probably won't find three times more people to, to enlist, right? Uh, in the Commerce Center land, we've always been very good in onboarding large quantities of people, train them very quickly, get them in a seat, and I kind of hope that they would stay on for somewhat of a period so that we can leverage them for, for a year, maybe two years. Uh, we've never been very good in retaining those people and making those agents relevant and, and making those agents really focus on why we hired them in the first place. And I think that, that uh, capabilities like AI, conversational AI and, and machine learning allow us to finally 
look at the population we have that we pay well, I hope, that we train well, that we would like to keep within our domain because they're great in customer engagement, finally start doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is engaging with the customers that need that human helping hand. And, uh, and I think there's plenty of those still around, right? So yeah, we will be very successful in automating simple queries. We will get better and better in doing the average query. And we'll get better in doing, especially large volumes of a similar complex query. Doesn't mean that you won't need humans, right? So people will communicate more and more and more. There will be more sensory derived information coming into your enterprise. There will always be situations where a human just adds more value. Uh, that could be because of the skills that we bring to the table. Like uh, people talk a lot about empathy, but also don't forget humor and irony and uh, sarcasm and the ability to sell in many different ways compared to a, a, a bot or a machine that you're confronting with. So I think there's many use cases where the human will actually be relevant. The question is, how do we find the customer that we then connect with the right source? of information, right? Is it the bot or is it a human? Is it an outsourced agent? Is it a gig economy-based agent? But those are the questions that are actually, I think, more relevant to answer than whether AI or conversational AI will be there in the future. As a period, it will be. And it will shape and create form for itself and it will become more relevant and it will learn how to do empathetic statements. But an AI bot will never uh, hit his little toe on a doorstop and, and cry for pain. So when I tell you I broke my toe on a doorstop, you can probably say, yeah, I know what you feel, right? You can place yourself in my context. And that will be super difficult for, for a bot to do because it's a trained skill, right? They can say the, the, the statement of empathy, but they're not really being able to place themselves in my context. So I think that's, that's kind of a step that we need to figure out what that really means and, and where does this human then fit, right? I also believe that a conversation could start very well with a bot that does the conversation until a moment in time where logic tells us, hey, it's better now to hand this over to a human because we require a certain level of human skill. Uh, and maybe not. So that's the, the, the question decisioning that I think will change CX forever. Yeah. I mean, do you just, you know, thinking about empathy, yeah, well, take your view on this. Do you ever actually think AI will have empathy or will it have an understanding of when to express empathy. And I think those are two different things. Um, I mean, as a human, you know, most of us should have empathy. I'm not going to say no to that question, right? So will there ever be a AI system that is able to uh, have empathy? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, I'm just not sure when and, and what shape and form that will take. Will an AI system be able to realize when statements of empathetic utterances are relevant and will mean something to a customer for sure. So they, they can absolutely emulate empathy in, the, in their conversation. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. They're getting better in it already. They also get it wrong very easily, right? So where humans don't get it wrong, at least not that I've known of, or you must be completely uh, off the North Pole and have never talked to a person, I don't think a human will get it wrong when somebody tells something terrible. Um, the worst thing that we can do with a human is to actually constrain him by script and, and follow that script even if an empathetic utterance is actually required because you feel pretty rotten about what your customer just told you. I'll never forget in the early days of COVID, I was listening into a call. This customer calls in and he says, I've got a, uh, I, I wrapped my Mustang around a tree and this is my Mustang from 1966. And if you lived in the US, that's a really uh, expensive uh, treasure to have. He restored it by hand for about 15 years, and then he took it out for a spin. And I could, in the second or third day of, of driving it around, he crashed it and wrapped it around a tree, and it was total. 
So he calls in, he's crying on the phone, and the first thing the agent says, what's your zip code? And I think that's that's what a bot would do, right? So that's not what a human would do. So if you remove the constraint of scripts, the human will probably say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Right? Not that I maybe uh, put my own Mustang against a tree, but I probably had some loss, right? I had some material loss, maybe had a car accident. So you kind of feel where this person is sitting, right? That's the humanness of the skill set that we bring to the table. And I don't think that will be replaced shortly. And the question is even, where do you really want to do that, right? So why not have humans to focus on those queries and those questions? Because I think that the result, the outcome, will always be somewhat predictable and, and guaranteed. And I think I like that as a as a operator of a convection environment. Just on that, and I was as you were chatting there, I was thinking, how much of that do you think, you know, that response that the agent um, provided in terms of the Mustang, how much of that was actually down to the organization, i.e. the contact center and the training and the coaching? Because the same applies in the tech world, and how much yeah. of it actually applies to the ability to do it. Because I think if the agent were coached properly in that world, they would be empathetic. And the same in the tech, if you implement it correctly, it can respond. But ultimately, a lot of the contact center, and in my view, the model hasn't changed for 30 years. It's still around low cost, high volume, and yeah. stack them up, sell them cheap approach. Yeah, that's, you're right. So the uh, I think my, as I said, we had a speech IVR and a chat implementation in the 90s. And it took another 15, maybe almost 20 years to, to get somewhere uh, uh, across the hype cycle on, on these two capabilities, right? And chat has been around for ages, by the way. Uh, video calling is still a bit of a niche and uh, very on, on skill set differences like doctor, patient, private banker, banker. And, and uh, I find that somewhat surprising that that hasn't gone further. And this has been around since the 30s, the 1930s. So that's, that's almost 100 years of video calling technology-wise uh, being able. Um, we still manage a lot of stuff in, in the contact center on the same KPI that I used to manage my contact center on, right? And I've been, almost every presentation, I talk about the fact that service level doesn't mean anything from a contact customer perspective. Uh, it means a lot from a planning perspective, but from a customer perspective, it, it means squats. And proof has been abound that if you uh, have a customer wait a little bit longer, but you help him the first time around, instead of putting him on hold or transferring that person, your outcome will be better. And still that happens all the time. Uh, I had an experience with an American bank recently, and I have a complex query that can't be self-serviced. I know that. I have, must have talked to six, seven people in that bank, right? And, uh, and that is a bank that's using technology that I know quite well. So they should be able to do a better job on getting me to the right spot in a, in a much quicker way. Uh, these things are still happening. And technology has been around them and, and, and all these people that implement uh, CX for quite some time to do a better job, a simpler job, uh, a more customer-focused job. And, um, and so it's a bit of a... Bit of a uh, well, it's a bit of a complaint from a technology usage perspective, right? So you buy this great technology, then leverage this great technology. Don't try to kind of lift and then replace everything you already had uh, with the same thing because you're not going to progress yourself. You're not going to be better in, in customer experience. And I think that's something that we and you and, and, and people that have been around for in this industry for quite some time own, own this, right? We need to help customers understand and see what the future could be like, how they could operate. Sometimes you need to take a risk to be better at what you really do. I think it's about time because the technology now is so mature that you can start focusing on reducing the headcount that you have and focus them on, on the human part of your domain 
as long as you don't separate yourself in silos internally, as long as you don't see the outsource as a different world, you bring it all together and you start thinking about this as a holistic mass of resourcing capabilities that you have. Suddenly you start making a plan on how to engage with your customers, which is much more opportune for your customers. And I think we're on the edge of that step. And I think in this decade, we'll make that step. That being said, I thought a lot of stuff in, that would happen in 2020, which never happened. So, But I do think that now we're getting better. There's more professional people in our industry. There's an influx of people that actually understand AI and machine learning, are not afraid of it, work with it for ages. And that will only increase the use case. It will only increase the, the, the feasibility of leveraging it everywhere, right? We see more and more applications that are uh, suite-wide, enterprise-wide, than just these little bespoke things that always end up in a little silo of, them, of their own. And so I think we're making good progress on, on that side of the house. And I've got good faith that in, in, in between now and 2030, we will see the first one where humans are actually literally only talking to humans when it is really required. Because that's for me is the ultimate uh, uh, situation that you can land in from a human to a self-service domain. Yeah, I mean, again, and maybe come on to your 30 for 30, because I know you used to have a 20 for 20, I think you called it. Um, yeah. But a lot of the technology, you know, be that cloud, be that async messaging, it, it has been here for a number of years, but still the adoption rate is pretty abysmal. So what? 70% of contact center yeah. seats are still on-prem or not in the cloud or there or thereabouts. The uptake on Apple business messaging or WhatsApp isn't what we all thought three or four years ago. Um, right. But the consumer is driving it, so I'm just kind of, I mean, what's your thoughts in that space? Is that because there's no value to it? Is that because the contact center organization cannot change their their way of operation to actually take advantage of that? or? Uh, a little bit of all of the above, right? So the, I think that the, the, the conversation on domain and, and especially the operation of it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a status quo-like business, uh, I feel. It's the people that are operating those actually don't like change all that much because they found a, a kind of a way to operate this to get the results that they would like. And I think that hope sometimes is a big element of that. I hope tomorrow will be fine. Um, and hence, they're kind of reluctant to change the things that they do. There's a lot of time that we go and work with customers around workforce management, so resource management, or uh, the, way, the way that we do performance management, or letting go of certain KPIs, that you feel pushback, right? So people are reluctant to onboard that, and, and, and change management becomes incredibly critical in allowing customers to go through this phase of transformation and, and take them by the hand to get to this final step, this final station. So that's one. Uh, I think that the, the COVID actually helped us a little bit because it did accelerate cloud thinking, right? So cloud suddenly was this, this always was surrounded by security issues and scale issues. And I think that uh, if you now look at where security issues mostly happen, it's actually on-prem or in a, in a single tenant host environment versus, uh, versus cloud. There's so much at stake for companies like us, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, to get this right, that we spent a ton of energy and investment in making sure we get it right. And, I have to say we do, right? So we're very proud of, of the way that we're operating this. So this slowly starts disappearing, so that will help us to, to drive it forward as well. Technology is getting better, and technology is getting simpler to use, and I think that customers are learning that uh, sophistication is not the right answer to customer experience. The ability for you to simplify what you're actually trying to do so you can learn from what you're doing 
and then add layers of additional things that you want to do is something that is, is finding finding uh, a hearing audience now a listening audience in uh, in the customer base as well so that's helping too but there's still things you mentioned 2020 right so i there's still things that didn't happen either right so the for instance i, I thought that uh, messaging would actually be bigger than voice and you're right it isn't uh, and what we actually saw happening in COVID is that we did see much more self-service, but we also saw an incredible increase in voice. And it's still there. And it's weird because I don't like calling contact centers and my kids don't like calling. Who are those people that are calling contact centers? There are people that need help. Those are people that need confirmation of change. There are people that are want to make sure, right? So there's still this layer of, uh, I want to talk to a person to make sure I got it right, to make sure I understand this or... Uh, the energy prices in the Netherlands are sky high. So people on the 1st of January had to give their new uh, readings. It was crazy. Everybody did it on the phone. That was a great self-service app. I used the self-service app. worked fantastically well. The whole times and the wait times in the complex center of these energy or these utility companies was crazy high. So you wonder why that is. None of them, though, used uh, WhatsApp, for instance, which is the dominant uh, uh, messaging channel, I think, in the Netherlands. I was a bit surprised by that. But WhatsApp is such an easy way I communicate with my kids, with my parents on WhatsApp. Why not with an enterprise, right? And I think one of the main reasons is that the, the uh, unpredictability of the volume is scaring uh, enterprises away from it a little bit. So as soon as you open it, it's like the doors are off, right? And, Pandora box, uh, yeah. Yeah, people would expect 24-hour service and uh, stuff like that. I, I don't think it will go that fast, but I think the beauty of WhatsApp actually is that you can post something and there's a time delay that I would accept depending on the urgency of the message that I post, I think. And the beauty of what we do in the routing world is that you can analyze what the message is and define how urgent is this. Uh, again, AI. So AI is very able to dictate a, a time in which we should answer this. It also then allows me to toggle around with this volume, right? So, hey, I need to get this to a human. I've got about an hour because then I think that the, the patient threshold will be over. So I need to find a human within that period of time. And that's, that's what routing, that's what Genesis has always done really, really well. And at the early days, we called that a universal queue. But that's what you want to have. And the ability to kind of mix and match that so that you don't get overwhelmed by your messaging traffic. Because you could. And it's hard to see the difference between one and the next conversation. Uh, is there any closure to a conversation, right? So you have to ask a typical question that you rather avoid to make sure you understand, hey, we've helped this customer. It's now over. Because two days later, I could pick up the same thread and start talking again. And, and those are things that I think that some of them are kind of scared about. And, and, and then on top of that, you get the security question, right? So I have WhatsApp, but I can't do any CRM-related things on WhatsApp because it's in front of my firewall. It's not protected. It's not secure. So those are questions as well that are popping up. And that's why if you have the ability to move from your WhatsApp channel for a clear uh, question that needs to be answered by a human, just move it into a voice channel. So simple. You don't have this customer stuck in the in the in the channel. Get them out of that channel and move them into the voice channel. Yeah. It's the simplest thing in the world. And those things are starting, but certainly not completely there yet. Yeah. Now, the other thing that, that sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, the other thing that I uh, so I, I predicted two things that just did not happen at all in, in twenty fifteen for the twenty twenty. Uh, one of them was IoT. I was expecting IoT to make a much bigger step forward in, in uh, consumer uh, supporting uh, activities, right? So the ability for my fridge or my laundry or my washing machine, sorry, to communicate with the, the factory to tell them, hey, this is going wrong or what about this, etc. It's such a simple, simple thing. Every piece of equipment I have is IoT enabled. 
but really nothing happens, right? So yeah, I've got UV lights and I turn them on and off. And but that's there's so much more from a possibility perspective with IoT that you could think about. Now I'm surprised how slow that is going. And when I look at the contact center, there's really no sensory derived information that's entering the contact center except for alarm systems. Uh, and that has been going on way before IoT was even a thing, right? So that's it's hardly IoT if you think about it. And the other one uh, that I expected much more from was virtual reality and augmented reality. And it didn't happen really. So we, we built a platform, we looked at it, and uh, we had a lot of fun with it. And we thought that was a complete use case. Also actually a little bit in combination with engaging with natural language or so conversational AI. And it didn't really happen. It didn't take off. And, uh, and, and we're a bit surprised that we couldn't find an actual use case for customers. They loved it. And they said, oh my God, this is fantastic. And would you ever buy it? No. So that's kind of a downer on uh, on an excitement uh, around the platform. Right? The same goes a little bit for Echo and all these tools, right? So they are still the most asked question to Amazon or Google Home are, what time is it? What's the weather? Tell me the joke of the day. Sing me a song. Like, so that's the conversation we're having with a piece of equipment in your household. And they haven't been coming, they have not made the step to full conversational support systems. Because I think I still, and the example I always give is that when I'm in my house, I should be able to talk to anything that is enabled in my house and ask them to change my ticket from 10 o'clock in the morning to a later time and tell me what time availability there is so I can make a choice. And that is not that simple query is not even possible today. So we have some steps to make. So not on the hype cycle, it's across that, but we have some steps to make to make conversational AI a true element in the consumer world as well as it is in the, in the business world today. Yeah, and just picking up on a couple of points, I mean, I do think the technologies there and just relating to your um, WhatsApp story and your async, actually recently, as in this week, I've been sorting out my cell or mobile number for my 21-year-old daughter who has left college, is living in another country and working, and I'm still paying and sorting out her mobile contract, by the way. But um, I got channel hop from live chat into WhatsApp, that's great. Um, so the WhatsApp uh, or that channel hop was implemented like we would have built IVR 15, 20 years ago. Um, what also become more frustrating when I got into the async world in WhatsApp, um, when I could wait for the agent maybe for 50 minutes, as soon as the agent responded, if I didn't respond within five minutes, I was asked a question and the conversation was closed. And I'm thinking, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> why do I? And it happened twice where I actually had, because something happened, I had a, had a jump on a meeting and a call, didn't look at the phone, and then realized the conversation on WhatsApp and be closed. I had to start over again. And I'm thinking, why? Yeah, that's, that's like applying a chat paradigm to a messaging channel, yeah. which is messaging is not real time. So it, it can be, but it's always based on the utterance of, of the, the, the communication between the two parties or the multi parties. Chat is, is much more real time than a lot of people think, right? So I have a, a very low patience when somebody pops up on a window and say, we want to chat. And I say, yes, I've got like voice, uh, voice tolerance. So within 20, 30 seconds, I expect somebody to be chatting on the other side of the line. And with me, not with 17 other people, but with me. And that hardly happens. So we, chat is disappearing, I think, from, from that world slowly. Uh, and it will be replaced by by WhatsApp. But if you see practices like that, then we you know, we have some steps to make, right? The, there, there's a certain level of, of uh, reluctance uh, around messaging frameworks and channels still today. Um, that surprised me a little bit. And, and I think it's good for us and good for customers if we get over that hump. 
and uh, and allow that to be much more of a, of a primary channel. And that being said, you need need to one of the things that we done all the time and it's kind of an old way of buying technology as well you buy box after box after box and then you figure out how to work with them but that's that's how a lot of uh, enterprise still look at their channels as well right the voice channel oh, that's the complex center we'll let them worry about that they've got an ivr fine then we got messaging which is an oh that's is that a complex center channel is that a marketing channel or is, where do we put this and but there's a new front door and then you got the branch office you got a front door there you've got all kinds of stuff and they're all treated as a singular channel and because of that, when a person decides to enter an email channel and you get an email back that says no reply, and you're kind of stuck there already. I think one of the most offending and frustrating things is to get an email you can't reply to. So what you do is you start calling. So you're just provoking messaging. You're just provoking communication in, in the wrong way. I chose to go into the email channel. It might not be the one you want to have because it's seemingly more expensive or whatever it is. But I think it's kind of unprofessional to just shut the door on me and say no reply. Um, and I can't go anywhere else. So I'm already frustrated when I start looking for another channel to find my, my story, right? Same happens in, in WhatsApp, the same happens on the website. So we treat them like little silos and it's hard for customers to get out of that. When we talk about experience orchestration, one of the abilities is to seamlessly move through that channel world, right? But that should be possible and, and actually very easy. And then top of that, I think that when you think about front doors, and, and you know we work with the intelligent customer front door for quite a while. I was going to mention ICFD, but that's maybe 15 that's years ago, Brian. One of the better acronyms we had, actually, I think. But, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's surprising to see that if you call customers, or enterprise in general, to be, to be clear, is that their IVR is, is clearly not going through a CMO rubber stamp, right? Uh, it's an important front door through which quite a few of your customers enter your company and it's confusing and it's uh, annoying and, and you get locked in self-service if you don't know your account number or elements like that. Uh, people then start shouting agent, agent, agent or swearing themselves to an agent. It also works quite well. Uh, but that's not what a CMO would like to see as an entry point into your enterprise. Uh, so my advice to a lot of customers as well is that although your IVR is not something you necessarily want to grow or make bigger, it's still a very important front door. So make sure that it's up to date with what you're doing on WhatsApp, with what you're doing on your website, the lingo you're using, the voice that you choose as your brand, the choices that you provide as well. I still believe that conversationally, the IVR is developing and getting better and better and better. And the recognition is getting much more accurate. But there are still really good uh, IVRs that just have a simple numbering system, one, two, and three. And that's about it. And maybe a layer underneath, but clear, concise, to the point, you know where to go. You don't forget by choice number five, what is it that, that they said at number two? Is that more applicable? Then you go through the rounds again. And so those old practices, and you made a company out of that, uh, are still around. And, and that's surprising to me a little bit. And we still get customers and, and you call them and there's no choice number one because somebody in IT decided to delete it because we didn't use that product anymore. So you call and say, well, for this and this, not push number two. Oh, I missed number one, I guess. So you hang up, call again. Well, that's where your short abandoned calls are coming from because of the unclarity about your initial entry into your IVR. Old news, I know, but surprising to see that revamping of your IVR on a regular basis is really crucial. Make sure that the front door environment you create is seamless, is orchestrated, actually is an experience in itself. Yeah, I mean, I think the analogies or the saying is the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, and I think bringing back some of those mindsets in terms of what we were doing 15, 20 years ago, um, the front door is obviously extremely important, but I started to use a term, I don't know if 
if anybody else has used it called transactional AI. So if you don't have right. that, uh, the back end element in terms of getting data, understanding that, not just from an AI, but the basic integra integration, then your front door can be as nice looking as, as you want it to be. But the customer experience is still going to be pretty goddamn poor. That's true. It is also, by the way, so when you think about it from a conversational perspective, if you think about using natural language to have that conversation, and the initial question is, how can I help you today? Which is a good question. I've learned myself the hard way that it's not always easy to explain what you're actually trying to resolve or trying to pursue or do. And if you don't, then it becomes a confusing conversation fairly quickly. Um, but the, I'm not saying that there's a better question, but it's worth kind of looking at what that actually means. How do people describe their problems? It's the same, I think that that's where like the, the echoes of this world went wrong is that they assumed people would speak in the same way they search on Google. But you don't, right? So on Google, you're probably more accurate than when you're using speak to search for a problem, plus that you have the ability to then, after your first results, go and deepen or, or detail it a little bit more, which voice is hard. So you want to do everything in the one sentence. And then, especially when you have multiple things that you want to resolve, it becomes a super complex query all of a sudden that's really hard to, to understand and actually prioritize in a certain way. I'm sure that will get to a point in time where the, the speech environment will be able to say, listen, what I heard is four problems, one, two, three, and four. And we believe that number one is probably the best one to start with. Do you agree? So yes, and boom, you get right. I think we'll get there. And, and actually, I think we'll get there fairly soon because the, the progress we're making is, is stunning. So, uh, And then conversational AI really becomes a thing for me in, in uh, spoken conversations. Text is a little bit easier, but in spoken conversation as well. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Very good. A couple of things that I'm probably running quite on quite a lot, but the conversation is good. So um, you talked about looking forward, I guess. So we have, you know, I used to love your 20 for 20. So what would your three for 30, let's call it that, rather than 30 for 30 be then? What, what would, if you're looking into the into the future, what are you seeing? Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to put virtual and augmented reality back on the, on the map, uh, combining that a little bit with 5G. Not necessarily from a complex center experience perspective, but certainly from a sales experience perspective and the ability to leverage anything digital in our world as a communication means to provide tips and tricks on the, the proximity based on 5G in an augmented and virtual reality world. I think for advertisers and for billboards, but also for road signs and, and creates a complete new set of opportunities. Uh, so I'm very interested in that. Uh, the personal consumer bot, so Google toyed around with it a little bit. Uh, with the person making an appointment with a hairdresser, right? And there was a bot. I do think that the ability for me to articulate a desire with bots that work for me that start doing the search work and the research work and provide me choices that I can choose from and then do the additional work in the entire billing cycle will become fairly normal. Um, it's not a secret that I believe that ethics uh, are going to be incredibly relevant going forward. And uh, GPT, but all kinds of AI solutions that we've seen so far, I think require a, a much more ethical view on what it is that we're doing with technology and how we want to use technology, where it serves humankind, and how do we make sure that we control it that way as well, right? I'm, I'm not a person that is afraid that Skynet will fall upon us in, in 2050 or what, whenever the singularity will happen. But I do think that if we don't do anything about it, it's going to be a useless exercise. And so from an ethical perspective, I think that it's time that companies hire people that, that know their way around in that space without becoming 
kind of uh, fluffy and, and abstract, but are able to articulate ethical requirements that I would have as an enterprise when I use technology. At the same time, we vendors should also think about how do we want our customers to use our technology, right? How do we make sure we're not using it in a discriminatory way or elements like that that we actually do not want to see? Uh, there are some companies out there that already made statements around ethics in their product set that I find mind-blowing and very profound. So I'm hopeful that it will become part of valuation and will become part of, of normal business practice. It also for me means that, uh, that uh, majors at university that are focused much more on language skills, on philosophy skills, on ethical skills are becoming relevant again, right? So I think, I think coding will be replaced partly by machines that will do it better and quicker. I think there will always be a human layer on top of that, at least for the foreseeable future. But I do think there will be a, a kind of a transition towards more alpha-oriented uh, uh, jobs again that are become, becoming relevant. Not the volume of, of, of technology jobs, but there will certainly be ethical officers in the company and, and elements like that. I think that's, that's uh, an important one as well. Uh, I expect I expected more from blockchain. I think this is a hype cycle discussion, right? Um, I was incredibly uh, interested in what the... Uh, I think it was the Australian Stock Exchange that, that was kind of the first one starting a, a real blockchain project. And they kind of pulled out of that because there's not a project that you can't really do in another way yet, right? So we, the use cases that we see that are described can be served in multiple ways. You don't necessarily ultimately need the blockchain to do that. But I do think that a blockchain in itself is, is a future element for privacy regulations, the ability for me to own my own data I could even be a non-fungible token in that entire world and, and deliver parts of my, my data set to an enterprise to serve me in their business. Uh, but then after they're done, take it back into my blockchain and, and become private again. So I think those are interesting elements that will require different ways of thinking about personalization. Right? I think personalization has always been seen, hey, if I know your name, and I can pronounce it and I know where you live. That's not personalization. That's more creepy than personalization. Personalization is really trying to figure out how can I help you best? Right. What is it that you would require to drive the outcome that you have in mind? Also kind of creepy, but way less than doing a, like a, a merger of names or elements like that. Um, that's, that's what I think you need to learn how to do, and you have to do that in real time. And if everything will go to continuous, I think that that will be going continuous as well. And, uh, and I think that's a great step forward in privacy regulations, in personalization at the same time. So I think that's a win-win situation. And I do believe a blockchain could actually be an instrument to help that. Um, but I still wait, I'm still waiting for the use case to actually do that for us and, and allow us to uh, see the blockchain as an actual added value. I thought about CX currencies and, and uh, mainly in line with the cryptocurrencies that we see and I must say that the volatility right now and the uncertainty and the, and the elements around it from a fraud perspective, uh, retract, make myself retract a little bit on that one. I'm not sure whether that's really time already and, and, and how this will go, but uh, certainly something to keep an eye on as well. Brilliant. Um, we're going to have to revisit. Hopefully, not in thirty thirty. Yeah. But <laughs> and uh, we will certainly pick some of this up again. Um, as always, Marine, it's been brilliant chatting to you. Um, a wealth of knowledge. I could sit and chat and listen all day. Um, just one thing. Well, two short things before we go. Um, recently, a, a mutual friend of ours passed away. So I'd like to dedicate this episode of this podcast to Damien Kelly who we both work with um, and I admired a lot so um, uh, well, yeah. I'd love to dedicate that to Damien or this to Damien um, I think that's a great idea I think that, uh, that Damien was, was 
one of those people. He was just a really good human being to work with, to party with, to travel with, to tinker with, to think with. And they're very rare. And, uh, and, and when somebody like that falls away, and you know, I've gone through some personal loss as well. Yeah. Uh, you feel for his family and, and you feel for the world that somebody that uh, is driving change is not there anymore. And it's painful. So I think it's a great idea to uh, do that. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, sadly missed on, on many, many levels. So, um, but I certainly would have loved to pick up again, Marijn. Um Possibly the next time in face-to-face. Um, I know you're back from the US, which you spent yeah. 10 or 12 years. You're now back home in the Netherlands. Yeah. I'm assuming that's home for, for at least a foreseeable. Yeah, as you can see behind me, the wall there is super old. So I bought an old house and that requires renovation probably for the rest of my life. So uh, Actually, the, the wall is older than the United States of America, which is uh, <laughs> what I tell my <laughs> colleagues when. That, that, so. that goes down well on the West Coast, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll be here for sure. Um, very good. Listen, we'll definitely get back together again, Marijn. But um, for now, Marijn Tabui, thank you very much. Um, love talking to you and we'll chat again.